Lord, this morning as we prepare to hear your word, um, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You're our rock, you're our redeemer, you're our source and our goal. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Nice to see you. Happy New Year, by the way. Here we are, 2019. And uh, as you get older, it's a less percentage of your life, and every year seems to go faster. And it it seems like we're going to blink here, and it's going to be summer of 2019 before we know it. Our topic today, as we follow the life of Jesus through through the book of Luke, we're in the fourth chapter, and we're going to be looking at the issue of temptation and how Jesus faced that. And so it used to be when you're in church, we'd say, turn in your Bible to Luke 4. I'd say, turn, in, turn on your Bible app, and we're, we're in Luke 4 at the very beginning. Temptation is a really weird thing because it comes in different ways. Sometimes temptation just comes screaming at us like a passion or desire that's like a freight train, and it, and it just hits us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves wanting or, or, or desiring something that is not good for us and not good for the rest of the world around. It just hits us out of the blue. Then we all have our besetting sins, like my proclivity to get angry or anxious. And those just live with me. And, and I've been a Christian now for 40-some years, and I keep praying to be perfect. And Nancy's praying even harder. Um, and, and it just doesn't it's just there. It's, it's, it's a besetting sin that dogs me and I make a little bit of progress. And the temptation toward those sins is the temptation to just give up and let yourself be whatever your baser instinct would lead you to, right? And then some temptation is sneaky stuff. A, a recent sneaky one for me, uh, and Nancy will remember this, um, I've never, I've, I've made my whole living pretty much off my voice. And uh, there are announcing gigs that you can get that pay really, really well. Um, and, and it's kind of money for nothing, you know, especially when you're a big blabbermouth, right? So anyway, I, a friend called and wanted me to be the signature voice for the uh, Tulalip Casino. And it, 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 it was a long-term contract, and it was, it was an annual salary a year probably, just in voiceover once a month in studio. And I kind of wanted to do it, you know, I'm part Native American, support your tribe, and everything. You know, I, I came up with every rationalization <laughs> to, to, to make it. Well, I am a 16th Native American. I was trying to find a way to make this work. But gambling's a real problem in our society for some folks, and for others it's not a not a problem, but I just didn't feel like as a pastor and somebody I identify as a Christian in Seattle that it would that it would honor Jesus for me to be the voice of a casino. And so I said no. But the that temptation was subtle and cloying and it hung in there and the rationalizations to steer around what was the right thing and wrong thing to do were just under the surface. And it was a very, very hard decision for me to make. And then there's all the other issues of temptation in my life. I I really feel qualified to speak about temptation because I think I've succumbed to just about everything, right? And and most of us here are experts in temptation. An old Bible teacher at Elam Bible College back in New York is a Pentecostal Bible school, and I just love this guy named David Edwards. And he had a way of coining things. And he was talking about this passage once, and he said, most of us Americans really don't know what temptation is 
because we give into it before it even happens to us. <laughs> right? Don't you think that's true in some ways? Okay, well, let's read Luke 4, and let's see how Jesus encountered temptation through the evil in the world, through the evil one, Satan, or all things that are not good. Uh, and let's see what he did with that, and if there's some things we can learn, no matter where we're at in our life or our spiritual journey, that we could apply and deal with and be more aware of and, and be more conscious of temptation's uh, way with us. Let me put it that way. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, Man shall not live by bread alone. So then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and all their splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And Satan said, if you're the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, because it's written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. How's that? you got the devil using Scripture to tempt the Lord. Whew. Jesus answered, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, and here's the bone-shivering final words of this text, when the devil finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. Isn't that ominous feeling? Let, let's, let's see what we can learn from Jesus. One, it seems to me that temptation tends to hit us the hardest or, mo or most subtly or most effectively, I don't know how to phrase that, when we are most full of the Spirit and, and we are really feeling like we're on track with the Lord and we're serving him. Jesus is in this lush oasis of, of water around the Jordan River. He's been baptized. He's heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to everything he says to you. And, and it's a moment of triumph. And then he's in this barren, rocky wilderness, 40 days w without food. And you know what? Temptation comes not just instantly, but sometimes over a period of time. And it hits most likely when we feel like we're in the Spirit and engaged in good things. And maybe we're engaged in good things and a little worn out and tired, and temptation catches us in, in the fog of, of exhaustion. And, and evil finds an opportune time to make us an offer we'll take that's self-destructive, spiritually destructive, or even harms others. And temptation isn't a moment here. Um, it's, it's not that sneaky, quick passion all the time. Jesus went into the desert, heat, nowhere, nowhere for shadow or, or, or shade, cold at night, baking hot in the day, nothing to eat or drink for 40 days. I mean... I can't stand temptation for 40 seconds, 40 days? Come on. 
and, and this is what it's facing. So in addition to temptation hitting us, sometimes when we're at our very highest point and we think we're really rocking it, temptation also tends to hit us and dog us and stay with us. It's not an instant thing. It grinds on us. And it's something we have to be aware of and, and work against. And most of the things that hurt us and tempt us don't just go away. We have to bear through them over a period of time. In Jesus' case here, 40 days on an empty stomach and a dehydrated body. And then there's some spheres of temptation that Jesus faced here. Turn a stone into bread and fulfill the need for food. Sounds logical on the surface. If you dig under, though, what you see is a temptation to rather go into the desert for a period of 40 days and fast, which was what spiritual masters in Jesus' time often did to conquer the desires of the body and the desire for comfort and consumerism was go into the desert and and be alone and pray. And so Jesus, in the midst of this, is offered a chance to break that and turn a rock into a loaf of bread and eat it. Well, the temptation to reward ourselves with things that are physiological and temporal is pretty high. Um, Food, drink, sex, consumerism. Find a way to turn something into pleasure, no matter what the cost, even the cost to to our own soul, to fulfill those instant needs that we have. And then Jesus faces a second temptation, and that's the temptation to misplace our worship for the purpose of gaining power and control. Power and control, of course, aren't real issues in our world, but if they were, this would be a serious temptation. Um, you know, and, but here's how it hits us out of the blue. The temptation is, I'm going to name companies here, and that's not because these are evil companies, it's just because they're common places that people work. You know, you work for the University of Washington, bust your hump in the research lab, and then bust it again, and give everything you got because you may be a, a recognized and awarded researcher. You're, you're, you're working at Amazon. Bust your hump. Give your soul to Amazon. Be my a friend that I've had for, for 60 years was talking to me at a Seahawk game, and he, he, he is one of these people who has the wealth of the world plus some spare change, right? And, 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 and he, he's talking to me. He goes, you know, well, Randy, over these years that we've been away from each other and working in our life's work, all I've done is go to my work every day and work all day. And on Saturday, I only work about 10 hours. And on Sunday, I watch football and sleep all day. And then I get up really early and I go into the office on Monday and work again. And this guy's now the same age as me, hitting retirement age, but he has no friends. He has, uh, he has no hobbies. Um, his children are alienated from him. He has a little bit of a flashy temper. I think his wife's a bit afraid of him. And he's got everything, but the chances are that he's bowed down and worshipped his pursuit of wealth or the, or the power of owning a large company. And boy, that, that temptation is very real in our society. And, and we're working at companies who, who do Neanderthal things like 
rate every employee from the number one employee to the number 55,000th employee, and then they hang what number you are in the pecking order on you, and, and, and that kind of stuff that causes you to want to bow down and worship your career, bow down and worship product you're selling, bow down and worship your political view, as opposed to bowing down and worshiping the Lord Jesus and keeping our priorities in, in life together. So authority, splendor, control, those are big temptations along with the physical stuff. And then there's a third temptation that Jesus faces. And that, that this often happens to faithful servants of the Lord. They feel like they've given so much to God and, and they have such favor with God that they're special and they don't have to play by the rules anymore. And so, basically, Jesus is being offered, you know, God the Father, he just told you this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to what he says. Check it out, Jesus. I mean, you're pretty special, huh? You're the son of God. Well, of course, then you could just throw yourself off this building and an angel come and catch you, like an outfielder or something, you know? And and you can launch yourself off a building like a fly ball and and you're going to be caught. Well, I don't know if you will or not. I'm not so, I wouldn't be so sure about that. And the temptation here is to say, I have a more special relationship with God than you do, and God lets me call my own shots. And that temptation's real, and I've seen many pastors and many people in ministry take terrible falls because they believe this. I've seen churches with, even here in Seattle, 10,000 members destroyed by these kinds of actions. Now, I have been thinking a little bit about this this week, and uh, my, my aunt in England, my aunt Sis, used to emphasize things. And so instead of saying, if you were smarting off to her, she said, listen, mate, I'm going to give you a bunch of five. So that was a bunch of five. And then if she was giving you advice, aunt Sis, i say, I've got a handful plus one for you. That was six things, handful plus one. So here's a handful plus one of, of things that I've been thinking about with temptation that have maybe helped me, and when I blow it in regard to temptation, these are things that I didn't go to. My tendency when I'm tempted is isolate myself, be really quiet, be secretive, and hide it. Anybody else have that little tendency? Pretend it? Yeah, that could, that's the kind of sin that could really bother a normal mortal, but not me, you know, and, and we, we play that kind of a game and that only gets us in more trouble. So the first thing is confession of temptation to a spiritual guide and a friend. And, and I'll tell you, this, this can save people. A fellow minister of mine that I'm very dear friends with once called me from Atlanta and he said, Randy, I am standing in the hotel of the, uh, uh, the lobby of the Omni Hotel in Atlanta I have in my hand a key to a beautiful woman's room, suite, and she's invited me up. And I'm just dying here. I am so ready to take this card, push it in the elevator, and go to that floor and commit adultery. Talk me down. Please forgive me for my sin and talk me out of this. So I talked him out of it, and we did an origami exercise with the, with the key so it wouldn't work anymore. Um, and, and it, but it was, it was hard, but I was so proud of this friend to be vulnerable and say, I'm struggling here, help me, okay? 
And then there are therapeutic tools that we can use against our besetting sins, like anger or overeating or, the, or, or some of the things that hit us. You know, At least those are ones that have always hit me. Uh, there are books out there like one that I recommend. I can't remember the author. It's called Changing for Good. And it's sort of a retraining program. If you've got something that you'd really like to conquer because your, your temper snaps or you have a tendency to take cash money and not report it on taxes or any kind of habit, smoking, any, anything that you wanted to get away from as a habit, this book, Changing for Good, is, is, is really a handy little tool. And I think the third thing is the Word in you, the Word of God in you. There is nothing more powerful the knowing scripture. And, and this is not like being the Bible answer man for the, for the sin you're tempted with. It's, it's more like this. There's something really centering about praying the Lord's Prayer when you're in a mess. There's something very sens- uh, centering and comforting to open the Bible to the 23rd chapter and, and, uh, of the Psalms. And you're being, you're being ripped at by a subtle temptation or a great passion the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pretty, pretty simple little line, right? I can help you memorize scripture right now. You got part of the 23rd Psalm memorized today. The Lord's my shepherd, I, know, I shall not want. When we find ourselves wanting things we don't want, we can, settle, we can consciously set ourselves in prayer and repeat scripture that we have memorized like that. You know, I, I, we, can, we, can, we can learn Philippians 1.6, I believe that the God who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. You're bigger and better than this thing that's trying to get you. If we memorize scriptures like this and saturate ourselves in them and let them bubble up in us, we're better. When I suppress that or I don't let that memorization of scripture uh, be a part of my prayer life, I find myself weakening. I, I, I don't know if that's, if that's helpful for you, but find some basic scriptures like that and memorize them. Memorize the Apostles' Creed. You're doubting, things are, things are difficult for you. Fold your hands and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker in heaven and earth. And, and repeat that. These things change the way our mind works and what we set our minds on, and our mindset drives our whole disposition toward life, toward temptation. A fourth one is we need proper sleep and recreation and relaxation-type exercises in our life. Our world is insane. Our world runs on days that are 23 hours and 56 minutes long, and most of us stretch that to 25 hours and 56 minutes somehow or another by sleeping less. Uh, In fact, only 40% of Americans uh, sleep over five and a half hours a night. New research. At, At five and a half hours a night, you would see, oh, here's what I'd be doing this morning. I'd be wandering around up here talking to myself. Why, why, why am I in this funny room? You know, I mean, it's just, you, you, we need more than that. And, and the pressures of life make us weak to temptation because we don't have a spiritual or emotional immune system built up to the world around us. And we get going and going. We work harder and harder, and then we feel guiltier and guiltier when we're not moving harder and harder and being less sensitive to what's around us, less sensitive to our spiritual impulses. Good sleep, good recreation, good relaxation tools are invaluable uh, when it comes to the temptation in life. And 
I mentioned Jesus' prayers or the Lord's prayer. Uh, Jesus' prayer, does the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner? Ever try that one? I'll sometimes, when I feel tempted, I'll, I'll start praying that, and I'll repeat it until I just space out. I mean, I, that's just, for me, that's total centering and anchoring. And I'm only sharing for you the things that work for me. The other thing is wholesome diversions. For me, movies, books. Um, when I weighed 400 uh, pounds, it wasn't a wholesome diversion, but food was pretty important. But we, we need to have some diversions. And then the seventh thing on this list that I'm going to add and you're not going to like me for putting this in before we go to the Lord's table and everything, but this is a little exercise called avoidance. And I learned avoidance when I was about eight years old. I went to University Place Elementary School. It was 1.2 miles from my house on Bridgeport Way in University Place. And I'd get dropped off in the morning by my dad or take a school bus, but I'd always, if it was a nice day, walk home. So one day I'm walking home, and the, we had a dog, but the cutest little dog, just kind of out of the puppy stage, came up to me. He had no collar on or anything. And I was just sure that I, I wasn't even a Christian yet, but I must have been a Calvinist, that I was predestined to be the, the owner, mentor, and keeper of this dog, right? And just to kind of get things going between us, I got some water, and I fed the puppy some, some water, and I had my lunchbox, and I looked, and I had like a cookie and part of a sandwich left over, which was unusual for me. And I fed the dog some food, a little bit more water, and he's following me home. And then he looked a little tired, so I pick him up and help him. You know, he needed a hand. And then we stopped at a, a mud puddle and had a little more water, and I patted him. He's snuggling up to me, and I put him on the ground. And, man, he was healing. And he followed me all the way home and in our driveway, all the way up to the house, in the door, clickety, clickety, click, claws on the floor, and then Mama Roland pops in the room. Uh, what's that, mate? She had an English accent. She said, that is my new puppy. That's not your new puppy. Our puppy is out in the backyard, Freckles. I don't want one dog. I don't want two dogs. We already got one. I said, but, you know, he's all alone. He had no one. I, I, I rescued him from just... A horrible life, you know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm his, I'm, I'm his protector and defender. This has got to be my puppy. And my mom said, "You take him back, put him exactly where you found him, and if you have to throw rocks at him, run from him, whatever, do not bring that dog back home." And I said, "But mom, we're bonded. He'll follow me everywhere." And I remember, and I was so injured that I couldn't beat her in an argument. And she, she was getting pretty red in the face. And if I. Audrey was was four foot ten and ninety five pounds, but if she went off Mount Vesuvius, you know, and I, we're we're right up against it here, where there's going to be a blow up. And she goes, "You take him back and leave him." And I said, "But mom," and I'm kind of crying. She goes, "Listen, if you don't feed him and you don't pet it, it won't follow you home." Well, let him who has ears to hear hear the ancient wisdom of Mama Roland. One of the really great things we can do is as we face temptation, don't feed it, don't pet it. It won't follow you home. And instead, we can follow Jesus. And the wonderful reminder of Jesus bonding with us comes to us this morning in this table. So we're, we're going to pray against our temptations. We're going to thank God for forgiving us our sins. And the only qualification to come to this table is to basically be a spiritual and moral loser. Um, and if you join me in that club, let's come empty, 
and allow Jesus Christ to fill us with the spirit that helps us overcome temptation, the spirit that guides us into truth and light and away from darkness and evil.